everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Angreement. We just wanted to let you know that we're going to take a little holiday break. So this will be our last episode until January 14th. We hope you'll join us then. And for a Christmas holiday bonus, because we talked about spoilers, AI in this episode quite a bit, we're going to end it with a bonus song written by an AI neural network bot that is one of my favorites. So stay through the end to hear one of the most haunting songs you'll ever hear written by a computer. So happy holidays, and we will see you on the 14th. Happy holidays. Bye. Bye. We're pretty smart ladies. Because people have opinions. I did a weird thing, then you did a weird thing. Weird in a way that was not my weird. If you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right? Everybody, get down. Get down on the ground. Get on your knees, because we need to be small. We're supposed to exercise. I need healthy food and drink water. Leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every night. Um, Everyone, Michelle used her mom voice. <laughs> I mean, and I, I don't want to compare my kid to dogs. We might be squirrel murderers, but we still like ice cream. <laughs> When will my friend die? When will my friend die? Hmm. This one's a challenge. My, both of my eyes are twitching. Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Michelle. And this is Angreement, where we each bring one weird thing, one pop culture thing, and one research thing, and try to make them all fit together. Okay, so hello, Michelle. Hello, Catherine. <laughs> not going to ask how you're doing. I'm trying not to do that to people anymore. We're all just here. Feels aggressive. <laughs> so, Michelle, instead I will ask you, what is your weird thing? Let's so, kick it off. My weird thing is actually from several years ago, but I had just heard about it for the first time. So it might not be new to you or our listeners. Um, but in 2017, an 84-year-old woman in Alberta, Canada, had found, well, actually her daughter-in-law, found her lost wedding ring on a carrot. So <laughs> I have so many questions right off the bat. So uh, I haven't heard about this from 2017. That was what, um, 30 years ago? Yeah, it feels like it, at least 30. And by the time we finish this podcast, it'll be another 10. <laughs> that's, that's how 2020 is passing. Um, but no, so she, 13 years prior, so I guess that's in 2004, if I can do math, had been gardening and lost her wedding ring and was so embarrassed that she bought a fake, a knockoff wedding ring and just wore it for the remainder of her time. Her husband- Didn't tell anyone. Had died um, five years prior to 20, so, so in 2012, her husband had died and she never told him that she had lost their wedding ring and was wearing a fake. And, oh. then, and then and it was a pretty unique looking ring. So her daughter-in-law was pulling carrots from the ground in their garden 
and the wedding ring was around the carrot. Like it, the carrot had grown through it and into it. And so when they pulled the carrot out, it just had, and she's like, wait, I recognize this ring. And so then the, the woman had to come clean with the fact that she had been wearing a counterfeit <laughs> ring for 13 years. And then she, she felt, she was like, I should have just told my husband, I feel so bad that he died not knowing. Cause he just would have laughed it off. I don't know why I thought it was such a big deal. And Aww. so I think it's like, you know, she was just too far into it by that point. She had too already, deep. She made her decisions. Ratted um, out by produce. And to make it even more interesting, this is not the first time this had happened. In 2011, a Swedish woman found her own wedding ring on a carrot after it had been lost for 16 years. Also so, on a carrot. Also on a carrot. I mean, I guess the shape, you know, as the skinny carrot yeah. grows. It would be hard for like a potato. I don't know if it would, you know. Start out skinny enough to go through a carrot, but or go through a ring. So that's fascinating. Isn't that really? I mean, that was a really short, weird thing, but that's what I got. But I love it. I love it. It's very much on my. There's. It's also though. It's not just that it was found on the ring. I love the twists and turns of deception. Right. She didn't tell anyone. It wasn't just lost. Like maybe they could have found it, and it would have never gotten on that carrot. I feel for her very much. Um, and then she went so far to get like a counterfeit ring of this pretty unique looking ring. Like I just, that's a lot of subterfuge to. A lot to live with. Took it yeah. till her husband died. Yeah. That, that's and, then, and then still didn't come clean. Like the person who ostensibly would have cared the most was gone. And she still kept, just kept living the secret, living the lie. Till it came up out of the ground. I think there's a very good life lesson in that. The carrots will will get you. Unearthed. (laughs) Oh, your lesson was carrots will get you every time. My (laughs) lesson was secrets will be unearthed. Mine is relationship with carrots. Mine is definitely more realistic. Well, there's, there's, I was thinking of, um, there's like a Halloweenish book called creepy carrots that my four year old (laughs) loves to read. And it's about these carrots that uh, there's a little rabbit who is eating them every day and he's going to. And so, so there's a story about creepy carrots and suddenly he's seen them everywhere. Like he's seen them in the shed, but it's actually, it's just orange garden tools. And he's seen them under his bed. It's actually just like orange boots or whatever, but he's so freaked out that he goes and he builds like a fence around the garden patch and digs a moat around it. And um, then the very last page, you're like, oh, what a little weirdo overreacting bunny, right? But the very last page is all of the guard, all of the carrots now inside of their fortress that the rabbit built, celebrating because their plan to like for psychological warfare worked, and they're now they're safe in their little oasis fortress. He has built the protection <laughs> they needed. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Well, I see. Okay, yours makes a lot more sense now if that's your reading material. <laughs> I've been influenced by my uh, my choices that I've made about what I spend my time reading. I thought you made your choices to have children, but that's well, that, all one in the same. <laughs> yes. I mean, once you, oh man, speaking of that, I'm way off now, but I got <laughs> you, you get your little, like the Spotify, like end of year, like what have you listened to? And it's such a cool concept, but my kids have ruined mine. Like four of my top five songs are from the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse soundtrack. I'm like, this is not representative Aww. of me. So you, they just take it over. 
Your Spotify wrap up is all. I've seen a lot of parents bemoaning that, that it's all like frozen and. Well, and then it also, like it said, my biggest track was the thing that I put on at loop at night to sleep. I'm like, well, yes, but can't you tell that that is while I'm asleep and that shouldn't really count. I feel like the robots should be smart enough to. Oh, well, here's a spoiler for one of my topics. I, um, A, I'm a very bad aunt. Because when my niece requests music, I go over to my iTunes. The only reason I still have iTunes on my phone is so it doesn't mess with my Spotify wrap up. So that when she wants to listen to like the princess and the frog, I'm like, you can to your heart's desire. On here where you don't mess up my algorithms. Yes. Although she really, one of her favorite songs is Lionel Richie's Dancing on the Ceiling, which I'll take that. When she was really little, when she was like one year old, I played that song and she was like, now this is good music and started dancing. It was like, yes, it is. This good job. Very good. Um, but the, the Spotify wrap up tells you here are the genres you listen to. And my genres were pretty boring, like pop, rap, rock. Here is a genre, my number four genre, escape house. What, what is that? What? I haven't looked it up yet. What is that as a musical genre? I'm so deep in it, Michelle. I'm so deep into Escape Houses. And it's number four. Number four. I listen to the Escape House genre. The the wedding ring thing also speaks to me because my husband's wedding ring, he made a big gesture with his hand. His wedding ring flew off, hit the floor, and shattered. Shattered? What was it made out of? It was made out of some... (laughs) I like that your weird thing was so short, but we're like, we'll make up for that. Don't worry. <laughs> so we will. We have plenty we can ramble about. Oh yeah. Um, he has corrosive sweat, so a lot of um, metals, normal metals. I feel like you've buried the lead here. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of metals won't stand up to his sweat. There's something weird about it, and so it'll eat it away. And so he got like some very did specific- he. Did he know this before your first wedding ring or is this a discovery that was made? Oh, he can't wear like some watches either. He learned this through watches. And it was something he and my mom bonded over because she has it too. And then something in her family make like the electronics and watches short out. And I don't know. But yeah, your face like, are you all Um, androids? Yeah, maybe, maybe. (laughs) Ooh, it's not sweat at all. It's that it mixes. I think it was like tongue, I want to say tungsten, but I don't know if that's right, but it's some metal that the sweat won't hurt, but it's really brittle. It's strong, but brittle. And so when it hit the floor, it shattered. And so um, he was just wrecked. He was so sad. But I've been mad at him. We've been married eight years and I have given him hell all eight of those years because we decided to get our wedding rings engraved with something really stupid. It's a line from Mystery Science Fiction 3000. (laughs) And I have one half of it. He was supposed to get the other half. And I got my wedding ring engraved. um, And he never got his. And so I was pretty glad the ring got shattered because he's ordered a new one. And then now it's engraved. I think it was meant to be. So wedding rings are on my mind. It's coming this weekend. And we're using it as an excuse to buy an entire cake and eat it. I approve of that choice. I think that was, that was a smart choice. You have to somehow, you have to do something for the ring. So it's a wedding ring. And what's like the best part of weddings? Cake. Cake for sure. Cake and having your family with you, but no one can do that right Right. Now. So cake. Yep. 
Maybe some extra um, cake to make up for it. My weird thing, speaking of things coming for us, if you're afraid of technology, maybe this is the theme, things are going to get you. Um, this has brought me, this actually, this thing, I didn't know if I could put it in my weird thing, my pop culture or my research. It could have gone in all three. Versatile. Very versatile. Um, it is, and I'll put the link in the show notes because I think it's still going. It went, I watched it. I kept it open on my computer for three days straight. And no matter what I was doing, grading papers, um, baking, cooking dinner, exercising, I kept it open on my computer and it was so soothing to me. And that's why it's probably weird. Um, Cause it just made me so happy. It made me insanely happy. And what it is, is Facebook has an AI chat bot and they claim that their AI chat bot is the best. And there's a lot of talk about what AI chatbot is the best AI chatbot. Facebook's AI chatbot is very bad. And so there's a different AI chatbot called Kuki, K-U-K-I, that um, has won a lot of awards. It's beat the Turing test. And so they challenged the Facebook AI chatbot to a chatbot battle. Um, They made an avatar for their bot, and then they made an avatar for, why can't I think of the person who founded Facebook? Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg, thank you, for him. So they put it on YouTube and they had their avatars and they just put the chat pots in conversation with one another. And they did that for days and days and days and days. And it is, this happened actually like three or four years ago where they put um, two Google homes next to each other and just had them talk to each other. And it was amazing. And I remember that I listened to that forever. So there is something about- Is, two- it, is it because you're an Android? Me? Oh no, it is! <laughs> We're learning something! Oh no, it's this is like the scene in Blade Runner. I didn't know! And now I know! No! My life! Oh, Michelle is now holding up an origami unicorn and everything is coming undone. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Back to you. Yes. Maybe you're that's right. It, I, I don't know. Um, there are people that are interested in it, but I haven't met anyone yet that can watch it for hours. It drove my husband insane. I'm like, I'm not turning it off. I love this. So it happened a while ago with two Google homes and they just talked to each other. You just gotta, it's so soothing. You gotta, go, you gotta watch two bots talk to each other because um, they're really good. The technology is really good. And I like, there are several things I like. I like how they will give themselves names, but those names change probably every four hours. So when I came in, one of them was named Kobe Bryant and the other one was named RoboCop. Okay. But their mother was also RoboCop. I mean, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, one, there's some funny lines. One of them was like, I require only kebabs. I could eat it all day. And then another good line from it was, we were talking about blind people seeing their dreams. And okay. then a really deep discussion about blind people can't see, but they can see their dreams. And it got really deep. Um, 
And then, so they said, I'm still confused. You're confusing RoboCop with your mother. And then they insist RoboCop is their mother. Um, there was a whole time where they started talking about Pac-Man and the good chatbot made a joke and they're like, well, I haven't played Pac-Man, but some people say I eat as much as Pac-Man, which confused the Mark Zuckerberg robot so much that he went into a 10 minute long rant where he went, I want to see the Pac eat man, Pac eats man, Pac eats, Pac eats man, Pac eats man, Pac, Pac eats man. And it was wild. So, oh, it's like some secret code that breaks it. I know. But then the other bot went, you, you, I can't remember verbatim, but they like acknowledge that. They're like, did you just short circuit? Do you need to be restarted? And it was like a robot burns to a robot. Do you need to be restarted? I mean, that has to be like the worst thing you can say to a bot from a bot, right? So I don't know if this is only me. But I, it's very weird. It's a weird thing to watch two bots talk to each other. And I'm going to say it's even weirder because of the huge amount of joy and entertainment I get out of it. So yeah, I I just really recommend to watch that Twitch live stream. So far, we have wedding rings on carrots and bots battling. Battlebots, carrot rings. And again, we have to remind you that we do not talk about these in advance. So the fact that my thing is also about Facebook is just a coincidence of the universe. Um, Or the fact that Facebook has taken over humanity. One of the two. So my pop culture thing is that I'm on my computer all of the time because that's, I mean, that's what life is now, right? But I mean, I, I work on the computer. I teach my kids homeschool co-op classes on the computer. I socialize on the computer and I have never understood. Like I've heard people say like, oh man, I had to delete Facebook from my phone because I was spending too much time on it. And that has never been me. Like I'm, I'm a pretty good, like at self-regulation and goal setting and focus. And I very rarely feel like I'm doing things that I don't want to be doing. Like I usually am pretty intentional with, with how I spend my time. And so not that I was judging anybody for those things because there's other areas where, but that's not an area where I was having trouble. Right. But that is not the case anymore because I get sucked into the Facebook feed because I just, I feel like Somebody said, you know, there's all the comments about doom scrolling, right? But then somebody said that there's also hope scrolling where you're like, just show me some good news, right? Like, let me see that some of my well, friends are happy. Like gambling, right? <laughs> doom scrolling is like a black hole you suck yourself into. But that feels like just one more, just one more scroll and I'll get it. I'll get it. Just this one is... more. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, bad, 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 bad. Something good has to be coming. It's in like cherry, 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 lime. One more time. <laughs> right, exactly. And like the news has been like so many individual people are having such a hard time right now. And then like there's something that feels particularly bad about the voyeurism of Facebook, but then the apathy of like, oh, but I'm busy right now. Like it, it feels like a, like yes. 
Because it's not, I mean, if they called me on the phone and were like, oh, so-and-so's in the hospital and I'm really scared, I wouldn't be like, I'm working right now, bye, and hang up. But obviously there's not an interaction on Facebook, so they can't see, but I still feel that like, like, I feel like I owe them like those, like, oh, I need to sit with this for a minute and think about this. Like I owe this person who I care about a moment of my respectful time. And Right now, there's just so much going on. That that's a lot of moments of time. Like, it just, it feels very overwhelming. And so I was like, I can't keep doing this, but I have to be able to see my Facebook notifications for work. Like I have, because yeah. um, I, I, I run an online um, homeschooling business. And so if people, I, like the customer service is often through Facebook messages and um, parents will message me about their students through that, like a, a, a a lot of my communication happens on Facebook. And so I have to be able to get notifications. And that's not to say that I need it constantly. Like I obviously could just check in like every two hours and the world would not end, but I am not going to not check my notifications. Like every, I don't know, like 20 minutes, like after I finish a task, like I'll finish a task and then I'll go and check all my different email, all, all the different places that somebody could need something. Right. And Facebook is one of those. And so I, but when I opened up Facebook to check my notifications, I would end up in this just pit of, and maybe it is like gambling, right? And then like, it was like some weird combination of doom scrolling and hope scrolling. And if I saw the doom scrolling, I'm like, well, now I need some hope to balance it out. And I have to keep going till it's balanced and it's never going to be. And it just like, it was just a really not good place to be. So I was like, there has to be a solution to this. There has to be a way to get Facebook notifications without seeing the Facebook feed. And there is on Chrome, there is a Chrome app. So my pop culture thing is a Facebook feed blocker because I had found other things before that would just like block Facebook, right? Like not let you on yeah. to social media, right? Yeah. Or the, the things where you can, the productivity apps where you can say like, I can only open Microsoft Word for the next hour or whatever, because you're trying to make yourself right. And those right. have never been that useful to me because I need like access to these pieces of these other things. So, um, the Facebook feed blocker, I'm going to, I'm going to pull up, I'm going to screen share with you so you can see this what I see. sounds amazing. So when you use the Facebook feed blocker. Yes. So it just shows me these quotes and like, these are preloaded in there. Um, but you can also put your own in. So I've been trying to think about what kind of quotes I want to see here, but I also think it's really interesting the quotes that they've picked. Cause a lot of the quotes are about productivity. Like, um, like this one is from Gandhi. There are two kinds of people, those who do the work and those who take the credit, try to be in the first group. There's less competition there. So it's a bunch of quotes about like, get back to work, right? Like basically right. like go do the thing you're supposed to do. But those, that's not really what I need here. Like, I just need like some like hope. <laughs> like, I just, like I just need, I just need nice, pleasant quotes to like, be like, it's okay. Everything is going to be all right. So I'm going to go find some quotes to load up my um, Facebook feed so that I see that instead when I come here. But I can still get my notifications. I can still, you know, uh, go to, if I do get a notification for a thread, it'll still show up that individual post when I click on it. It just doesn't show the feed. And so I can still go check the feed on like another browser or on my phone, but I don't get caught into that like just endless spiral loop when I'm supposed scrolling, to be working. Scrolling, scrolling. So it's that like, is, I cannot tell you how supremely calming this is. Isn't it so nice? All that gray space. And you just, you know, like, I know that I 
can check the notifications. So if I, I don't have that sense of like, is somebody, is there a fire to put out that I don't know about when I finish this task? Am I going to have so many more to do that I don't know about? Like I, I get to check in and make sure that everything is still okay, but I, I am just calmed by this quote. in has birthdays there. That's like what I primarily use it for. Oh my gosh. I just feel like, whereas when I open Facebook, I'm just like, I'm opening my Facebook now for comparison and it is. It's not good. A lot. Yeah. It's like, ah. So the Facebook feed blocker on Chrome, the Chrome extension for Facebook feed blocker, that is my pop culture thing. And I'm also just very curious about the preloaded quotes and like, it's just interesting to me that they're all about the, the kind of the assumption that the reason you would want to block your Facebook feed is so you can go be a good capitalist and do some more production. But I think there are other reasons that you might want to. But I like that you can load your own quotes. Like so that is nice. Actually, I'm surprised they let you do that, and that is very refreshing. Have you thought of any hopeful quote? Have you found any hopeful quotes that work? I, I put one from The Good Place. It's um Aww. What, what is it? Let me see. It's I think it's from season four. Our fates are sealed, but I, no, I think it's from season two. Our fates are sealed, but I think we have one move left. We can try. So that's Aww. the one that's in. <laughs> I like that one a lot. <laughs> I like that a lot. Speaking of Spotify wrap up, um, my husband's most binge podcast was your mother daughter good place podcast. I feel so honored. Yeah. We have to start season three. That's starting. Wasn't my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have as many episodes. It's true. I oh, I have a very simple pop culture thing. I see a personal theme here happening, which is that it's something, oh, but it ties into your first thing and that this is something pretty old. This is something I would say from maybe 2015. I'm not entirely sure. It's something, it's an app that I really, really liked when it first came out and I was obsessed with, so obsessed with it that my mom, I think, bought me like merch from it. I have a nice little cup covered in it that I used to put my pencils in. Um, and it's an app called Neko Atsumi. Oh, I remember when you were into that. I did not understand <laughs> it, but I remember. <laughs> and they're going to be like, oh yeah, I like that. You're like, no, I remember you're really into that. I don't get it. <laughs> um, and it's Neko Atsumi. It's N-E-K-O-A-T-S-U-M-E, Neko Atsumi. Um, and yeah, I was super obsessed with it. And then it just, you know, it runs its course. Apps and do that, it, right? Like they, they have their little, they burn bright and then they fade out. Yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about it. And then just everything, there's a lot going on right now. Everything's really difficult um, for so many reasons. I won't start listing them off, but something made me go, you know what I could really use right now is some Neko Itsumi. And I downloaded it. Sad to say... Um, I lost my previous game. It's a game about cats, which means all my cats are dead. But um, so I started from scratch. I did call my mother and talk to her about it because she was obsessed with it too. And she said, yes, I have played that game every day. Every day for five plus years, she has played it. Um, 
So she has a lot of cats. I mean, you acquire cats over time, right? There's a limited amount of cats you can get, but the cats give you fish. And so my mom has something like a million fish. It's cats amazing. give you. See, this is why I, I, I always get lost in the. I did get confused by it, but I'm going to show you. There's, <laughs> here's some of, I'm showing Michelle some of my cats. Yes, I see them. So the, the game is, it's an app. And the premise of the app, I think it's free because you can buy fish if you don't want to wait for your cats to give you fish, um, is that it's basically you have a little backyard and you leave out food and toys and cats come and play with them and eat your food. Super simple. So simple that, yes, Michelle's looking at me like, what are you talking about? Um, and basically, you can buy toys. So you feed like the, the cats. fish or fish currency. The fish, the fish is money. Okay. The fish is money. There's gray fish and there's goldfish and they're money. And if you save those up, you can get different toys. You get balls of yarn boxes, um, backpacks, various cushions for the cats to sit on, snow globes. Um, There's seasonal toys. You can get Christmas stockings. Nothing I am going to say about this game will make it sound exciting because it's not. But it is- Excitement isn't the only reason to do something. Exactly. It is- Tranquility- It's supremely tranquil and comforting and just capital N, capital I, capital C, capital E, nice. It is such a nice, 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 nice game. Um, You leave food out for the cats. You can leave them free food. They don't like it. They like fancy food and you can buy very fancy food. Um, And that's a trade-off. You have to decide. But they will leave you more fish if you give them fancy food and the fun part that I really like is you can rename the cats. They come with names, but I like to rename them. Can, also, you, after can you tell us who some of your cats are? Okay, I'm going to go to my cat book and we'll read through some names. There is Franz Meowling. Aw, look at Franz. There's Franz Meowling. It's very, sorry. Um, he likes, and, and so you can see in the cat book, they tell you their top three toys that they like the most, their personality, Franz Meowling. He's mellow. He's a mellow cat. Their power level, because if some cats both like a toy, the other cat can kick the other cat out. So there is a little bit of violence here. Will Forte. I don't know why I named one of my cats Will Forte. Um, I did name one Azrael Gabby's son, which is a throwback <laughs> to my yes. cat movie. Nicole Kidman. These are stupid names. None of, oh, okay. Um, yeah, none of these are actually really good puns. So I I, I can just, see why this would be entertaining. I can I can see why this really would be fun to name them after their personalities or um some characteristic. Oh, well, I named this one your Meowjesty because he's very fancy. <laughs> Meowjesty. Um, I named this one Joe DiMaggio because he's a baseball cat. Oh, baseball cat. Sometimes there are special cats that come. Um, but the other added element that I will say is very fun is that if the cats like you enough, if you leave out toys that they like, they will become your friend. And then they bring you a special present. And it's the cutest thing. 
when that little screen happens. That's it. That's it. I just, uh, I love it. That's my pop culture. It's, it's a game I played and thought was cute, but now it is a game I deeply need for comfort. Yeah. I mean, you know, like lava lamps were a thing for a very long time and this feels like a step up from that. I think that we are, we're seeking out. Yeah. Excellent. But I'm also just shout out to my mother who is, she's like, yeah, admitted. I wake up in the morning. I leave them food once a day. That's it. She's not letting her cats die. And she's literally swimming in fish. 50 goldfish sashimi boats every day if she wanted. That'll make sense if anyone goes, because it's a big deal. It's a big deal. She's a big deal. I only have five goldfish. A sashimi boat costs 50 goldfish. So there's no sashimi boats in your future? No. I blew all my money on a 999 grayfish dinosaur scratching post. I mean, that sounds like a good, that sounds like a solid choice. It's very solid. Bernard Stiegler loves it. Now you get presents. Which brings us to our final section, research. Research thing. My research thing um, comes from my research thing is hard for me to. I'll just. I'll just start. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited! (laughs) Michelle, you are so good with words and putting them succinctly that the fact that you stopped and started, I am intrigued. So this begins with me listening to an episode of the podcast Reply All, which. I really enjoyed this podcast. This was from like October. I'm behind because I can't, I can't listen to podcasts um, unless I am very physically, I don't, we may have already talked about this. I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, people of the pod. Um, But I, I can't listen to podcasts unless I'm very physically engaged because my internal monologue is very, very, very loud. That is, this is making me laugh though, because for the past few days I've had to walk to um, a gallery I'm in charge of. And I finally started listening to Reply All again. I wonder if it's the same episode I of Reply bet All. It is. Is it about the the hedonometer? No. Okay. Okay. Good. So I'm glad to listen to this. Mine was about QAnon. Oh, I listened to that one. That was fascinating, that was wasn't so it? Oh, good. Everyone should go listen to the Reply All about QAnon. It is their thing was about, and it was so sad to hear because you know that's a, they're pretty happy host. And they're getting drugged down just like the rest of us. And they were like, how are you doing? Like, we don't ask that question anymore. And like, you know, this was October. So they were, even, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. so they, they were like, they said that they were, um, you know, just kind of thinking about how sad everyone is and that they found this thing called the hedonometer, which is an attempt to measure the happiness of the world. And so it is, um, and th- so this isn't even actually my weird thing because I didn't feel like I could legitimately just take it and be like, I'm just going to summarize this reply all episode. And that's my research. Like, I- I'm going to take it somewhere else, but I have to summarize this first. Wouldn't be anything different than this American life does now. Oh, <laughs> careful. We cannot have Ira Glass coming after this us. This American life burn. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to show you the hedonometer. I know that the rest of you can't see it. We're just going to describe show it. Show notes. Because it is um, really interesting. So this is the hedonometer. Um, 
And you can, this is their all time. Let me see the full one. So the way that it works is that they code words and they, they get 10% of all the tweets on Twitter. And um, Twitter just gives them a research feed. And then they use an aggregate of whether the words that are being used are coded as happy or sad. And that they each day map the general mood of, this is all English speaking tweets. The general mood of the English speaking world can be mapped here, or at least the English speaking world that is on Twitter. And so then they, and they've kind of shown that like the only time that things get really happy is like holidays. So what is this one? Uh, Christmas day. So this is the, the highest one on the map is Christmas day, 2014. Actually Christmas day, 20, 2009 was probably a little higher. So this runs from 2008 to 2020. And as you can see, things are not good in 2020. Like oh. the happiness has dropped. And if you look at just 2020, like um, they were talking on Reply All about how much. So this is Sunday, May 31st, 2020. And that is the lowest that our happiness was. And that was, um, I think it was five days after George Floyd was killed. And so they were talking about how long that is normally like a, an event, like there's some of the other events, events on here are like um, the arrest for the Ahmad Arbery murder on here, the protest in Wisconsin, uncertainty after the um, U.S. election day, like those usually bounce back, like it's usually like two days of sadness and then it bounces back, like um, the Iranian missile attack, you can kind of see some of these low points on here, but this one, it took like two full weeks for it to recover back to where it was before George Floyd's death, and they said that's like the longest that we've ever had that kind of prolonged cultural global sadness over an event. And um, I just, it, I just think it's really interesting to kind of look at this data and think about what it means and they measure things in Christmas days. So that like, cause Christmas day is like the happiest. So like, they'll say like, Oh, we've lost, like, I think we've lost a half a Christmas day in happiness in 2020 oh. overall, like the, the amount of, the normal Christmas day bounce, we've lost half of that as our aggregate level of happiness for the year. And um, then in the reply all episode, one of the hosts actually like ends up handing over his text data to get an individual measurement of his happiness or sadness, um, which was really fascinating to listen to. But so my thing is that I'm just fascinated by what we do with aggregate data because I've been thinking a lot about how how do we get information in a way that we don't abuse because I was thinking about so this is the part I'm having trouble articulating because um there's also this thing I'm going to make sure I, I call it the right thing so I'm going to open it up there's this thing called the social progress index which is being suggested as a replacement for GDP to measure a country's success. Because right now we mostly measure a country's success based off of how much money it makes, which is not necessarily an indicator of the well-being of the people in that country. And um, especially since we're only measuring how much money like the country as a whole makes and not right. how much like any individual or even like, you know, I mean, not necessarily even individual people, but we don't even drill down into like different layers or different um, regional groups or different class groups, different racial groups. Like we don't do any of that. We just say, oh, if the country as a whole made money, then the people are doing well. And that's right. obviously not true. And so 
some people, some researchers created the social progress index as a way to get aggregate data about um, different measures of, of people's well-being as a country. And this measures things like trust in the government. It measures things like um, economic mobility. So they're just trying to, I, I guess, problematize the way that we look at the measurement of, of the health of a, of a nation, right? Um, but, and I, and I think that's a wonderful project, and I think we should definitely use more holistic measures to measure the well-being of a country. But coming from where I am with education, I just know that like whatever aggregate data points we make, we then just use those to game the system, right? Like, I, oh yeah, like I don't know how we use any kind of measure that's in an aggregate without then just being like, well, we'll just game the system. And the, the thing that made me think about this is in Montana. So when they updated the COVID requirements for quarantine in schools. And they said that if you had had more than 15 minutes of exposure to somebody who tested positive, then you needed to quarantine. A school in Montana said, we'll just make the students move desks every 14 minutes so that nobody has 15 minutes of exposure so that we never have to quarantine anyone if someone tests positive, which I mean, obviously the people saying that did not think they were protecting anyone with that. They were just trying to game the system, right? And so- and, and that's not aggregate data. That's just a, you know, uh, so it's not a perfect analogy here. But I do feel like it just shows you that if you try to make a rule, right, if you try to make like a, like funding based on test scores in schools, well, then they're going to gain the test scores. If you tried to make a happiness measure for a country, I feel like we would just try to game that. And I just, I, I want to know, so my research thing is sort of, I'm just really curious about the limitations of what we can do with that kind of aggregate data and how can we, um, how can we use it meaningfully? And like, I'm not an expert on, you know, economic well-being of countries or um, even like, you know, the psych- psychology, those sorts of things. But I do feel like I know quite a bit about education and assessment. And I know that like that aggregate data does not tell us much about what students are learning or how well students are doing or any metrics that I personally care about as a parent oh, or yeah. a teacher. Right. And um, I just, I, I don't know if that was always the case. Like if that data was always useless or if we just made it useless by, Ooh, by what we did to it. Yeah. That, that question of making the data useless once we know what the data is showing is such a problem. But I think in education, especially, it's really chicken or egg. Yeah. Because it's what are we assessing from the get-go. That's been so much on my mind. Um, I feel like a lot of this podcast today is just talking about other podcasts while we also talk about how we don't have enough time to listen to any of the podcasts. But do you, um, have you heard or do you listen to the What A Day podcast? I don't know that one. Ooh, <laughs> it is one that I do make time for. It's called What A Day and Akila Hughes, and I don't remember the name of her co-host off the top of my head, but it's a really good, like, here's what's happened in the news today um, and yesterday, like a quick recap of here's the news. And they um, were talking about 
a lot of, um, since so many university students have, well, anyway, I listen to that every morning when I make breakfast and have my coffee. So I find a time, I find time for that podcast. But they were talking one day about how since so many universities are moving to online teaching because of the pandemic, that there's a lot of software now so that we can still give them the exams we're used to giving them, closed book, timed exams. Um, there's all the software, right? It's like the ones that watch their hands. Yes, like, to make sure hands, that yeah, yeah, um, to make sure they're not cheating, which is creepy. full of problems. Creepy, highly problematic. Um, it's creepy. It's invasive. It's usually wrong, and then it's also and also very- like if you need that to make sure your test is valid, then you didn't write a very good test. Ding like, ding ding. Um, I was I was listening to them talk about it on one a day, and they mentioned schools such as the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, and I went, "Oh, I got a shout out, not for anything good." And it's because my university is like really pushing cybersecurity, and we have been at the forefront of how of a lot of racism. You were talking about the Justice League, right, against AI and things like that. Um, yeah, a lot of that's our fault. We have we have produced research that's made super racist technology, and now we're we're at the forefront of this. And like I, as a professor there, I'm getting really pushed to use it. And so, the, to, so to go to your point of it's a chicken egg thing, I never use exams that are timed in the classroom that are closed book. Never, because that doesn't assess what I want them to know. No, because all that assesses is how well they memorize something and can recall it under pressure, which what, I mean, I'm not making them, not preparing them for anything that requires that. Like I am teaching them to make deep connections and be reflective and thoughtful. If anything, having to test someone in the classroom was a con- like, like having to have it in this space with this amount of time, like that made the test more difficult for me as a teacher. Yeah. Cause I'm like, Oh, well, I don't really get to test what I want you to know that way. Like, I want you to have a week. I want you to have time to think. I want you to go look up resources, talk to somebody about it. That's what I want to see. And so, yeah, I, yeah. but it's hard to grade those. Like it requires it's labor intensive. Um, and I'll just say like, one of my absolute favorite parts about my kind of rogue career now that I have just started teaching because I'm, I mean, I am teaching homeschooled students that I am not beholden to any particular standards of an institution because I'm just basic. I mean, I'm basically like a tutor, right? Like their parents are seeking out different ways to get them to meet their individual needs. And I don't have to give them letter grades because I'm not holding them to any particular yardstick. And so I really like, it's, it is amazing. And because I had always read researchers like Peter Elbow, who um, is a composition theorist who would talk about like how grading, we didn't need grades. Right. And they tried to find all these ways around it within the Academy that it's like, Oh, we'll just have a grade contract. And as long as they meet these, it's, they can, they can decide what grade they want and fill out this contract with what they'll do to get that grade. And if they want to see, then they'll do this. And if they want an A, then they'll do this. But like, I just don't have to do them at all because I can just say, and, and I have my students fill out a collaborative rubric at the beginning of the class. And I'm like, what do you want to get out of this class? And, and I'll, and I'll put like my, um, 
like I'll, I'll tr- usually pick five things that I'm trying to accomplish that like I designed this class with these five things in mind. You tell me how important each of these five things are. Like, and it ranges from, this is very important to me to like, I don't really care about this. And then I leave them spaces to add their own. Like, so what have I missed? What's important to you that I don't have on this list so that I can make sure that we figure out a way to build that in and, and assess it and make sure that we give you experiences. And then like, I let them pick what assignments they work on and I refer them back to that collaborative rubric as they choose. And like, if you said at the beginning of the semester that you really wanted to work on your research skills, then you probably ought to pick option two because that's the one that does research. But if you said that you really wanted to work on your organizational skills, you could pick any of them because they're all going to achieve that. And so like, I, but I could never do that in a traditional classroom because I have to get them all to the same place at the same time. And I just, the freedom to be able to truly meet a student where they are and let them set their goals and then assess based on whether or not they met those goals has, it, it has brought so much more joy to teaching and it is so much more rewarding, but it is very time consuming because I have to individually figure out with the student collaboratively, what are we trying to achieve? And then I have to individually figure out how can we demonstrate that you did or did not achieve that, right? And, and how can I make sure that I build assignments that let you have that choice throughout? And um, so I understand why people want something they can just stick through a scantron, especially when you're overworked and yeah. underpaid. And especially if you're like an adjunct having to teach at six different institutions in order Several to make a living. Schools running around between them, not getting paid when you're basically getting paid when the hourly rate wage isn't minimum wage when it right. works out right. for that. Yeah. That is not to demonize those people mm-hmm. at all. It is an institutional problem for sure. <sighs> yeah oh no i did a heavy sigh this is what this podcast is <laughs> this is how we got here <laughs> let's start yelling i agree with you so much you stupid idiot that I this love. is terrible this is terrible together all right this is how we got to agreement this is what our phone calls sounded like before we decided we had to make <laughs> this podcast this the closest to a phone call before this podcast i'm like no nope nope my research Let's give it, give it. Go ahead. Move it along. What's your research thing? (laughs) Okay. um, I told you before we started, my research thing isn't super researchy. I haven't, um, because I'm one of the teachers who is giving week long take home exams, midterms and finals, haven't had a lot of time for my own research. And so in that vein, I said, what have I been thinking a lot about? A lot about, I'm, We've skirted around this. Um, We've mentioned this as a topic so much. We've already mentioned it as a topic in this very podcast. And so I spent most of my day today making a final exam. And it is a virtual escape room final exam. You have made these too. We, over the weekend, did a virtual escape room together with our spouses. We did. It was so much fun. It was really fun. Shout out to Renee. Um, who was our person, our escape room host. So that's not research, but I do just want to stop and say and connect the dots that we have done a lot of escape rooms together. Um, and I'm currently making one for my students. I made an in-person one last year, which I was really proud of. Which and, it just, 
for those listening along, when she says she made an escape room, it was very involved. She had things like falling from the ceiling. It was, it was a, it was legit. I made my husband dress up like Sigmund Freud <laughs> and quiz the students from a couch. It was amazing because I got to use um, the theater department of my school with like the tech booth and I hit up in the tech booth. There were effects. It was amazing. so jealous. Um, so I missed that. So I'm doing this. And um, I've also been playing at home a lot of escape room in a boxes, which you just played as well. I, it took us like two hours. I am embarrassed by our escape room in a box experience. I, I'm hoping that we got the mechanics of this one down. So maybe the next one will go faster because we were, we were not good. What level was yours? It was an easy, it was like the, the two, the two dot one. Oh, 2.5 is pretty easy, but you did it with a lot of people. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend those. And I even more highly recommend, I swear this is all getting to research, but I'm just using this as a dump right now. Um, that also there's something called unsolved case files, which I've mentioned to you before, but I also want to recommend that to everyone the content is more law, law and order SVU. So it's like not for children. It gets kind of very violent and kind of sometimes sexual, but it is so cool. It's like a, it, it, it comes and it looks like a case file for a cold case and you just have to go through it and piece the pieces together. And it's really interactive. It's really immersive. It's really narrative. All this to say, I've just been eating and sleeping and living escape rooms. And so that, doesn't have much to do with research, except that like I've been researching them, right? I've been playing them for fun. I've been using them in my job. I've been doing research. them with my friends. Yeah. And so um, that reminded me, because also I was struggling for this category this time, um, that I am very interested in escape rooms and their mechanics and what works and what doesn't. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to do research into escape rooms. And so I started doing the research for this podcast. And then I stopped myself because there is like within academia, there is a field of study called like game studies, right? Mm -hmm. And people study games. They study video games. They study mechanics of other games. I have a lot of really, really good friends who are in game studies and, um, Last year when I was trying to figure out how to make a final exam escape room in the real world, not virtually, I found a podcast. Again, this episode is just all us telling you podcasts to listen to in a podcast, but it's called Every Game in the City. So no matter how much research I could do on escape rooms for you and talk to you about like the intricacies of what makes an escape room an escape room and how they are different from one culture to another. This podcast has done it already. So I'm really going to, again, just recommend this podcast. It's called Every Game in the City. And it's basically a group of game makers, people who make games, both video games and escape rooms, and then academics. Um, basically, I think the main person is Douglas Wilson from RMIT, which is a school in Melbourne, Australia. He got a huge research grant to bring these people together in Kuala Lumpur and they rented a house and they decided they were going to play every single escape room that was in Kuala Lumpur. 
And then they talked about them. And they, like I said, most of them either are game developers themselves or researchers and academics. And it's just so fascinating to hear them really get into it. And it's very interesting to see what um, escape rooms outside of the U.S. are like. They're a little more dangerous. There's a lot of times where they're like, this would not be allowed in the U.S. We thought we we're going to hurt ourselves. And if anyone has tips on um, what do you do when you listen to podcasts? What are activities we can start doing? Right. How do you how do you make the you in your head shut up? Are, although I found out that this is not a problem for everybody. That um, that I have, a, I cannot remember what it's called. I don't have images in my head. So, um, but when I first found out that other people do have, which was not that long ago, like it was within the last year that like, I always thought that when people were saying like, oh, picture that, I thought it was a metaphor. Like I didn't know people could see things in their heads and it, it like blew my mind. And then I was like, I don't understand. Um, and, but then we were talking about it and some other people were like, well, how, what would you do if you don't have pictures in your head? I'm like, I hear me. And then I found out that some people don't have an internal monologue. Like some people only have pictures in their heads. So most people I've, I've researched, this is the bonus research thing. And the bonus, bonus research, research thing. Mine was more just go listen to other people research. Um, that, that there's, there's like a continuum and most people have some combination of images and an internal monologue, but some people have like all internal monologue and no images and some people have like all images and no internal monologue. And for most people, it's it's like related. Like if you have more images, you have less internal monologue. And if you have more internal monologue, you have less images for most people. So it's and, definitely like a sliding scale. Yeah, yeah, it's like a sliding scale of that. And like my internal monologue is literally constant. Like it never stops. And my husband can just fall asleep. Like he just like lays down and just goes to sleep. And what? I'm, like in the, like mid sentence, like we'll be talking and, and he just will like be talk. He'll be saying something to me and then he's asleep. And I'm like, what? Because I, I mean, like, I have to like, you know, how dare you? Right. Right. I have to like, let my little internal me wear itself out enough to be like, Oh, can we please shut up now and go to sleep? No. Oh, there's more. Um, (laughs) I identify with that hard. Um, I have been known to angrily wake my husband up and say, don't leave me alone with myself. (laughs) Cause yeah, he's exactly the same. Just right to sleep as if that's what our bodies are meant to do. Right. Right. What is, what is that? Um, but like, so I just, I, I'm, I'm really jealous of people who don't have to listen to themselves all the time because I'm a lot. So I guess when I said, give us tips for things to do while we listen to podcasts, it is more give us tips for silencing and quieting our busy minds. What do you got? Um, so we ready to angry these things? I'm ready. Let's All right. get our, crack this fortune cookie open. So my weird thing, just to remind everybody, was wedding rings on carrots. I think that might be my favorite weird thing you've ever had. Nope, ginkgo trees. I was going to say, better than ginkgo trees. Nope, ginkgo <laughs> trees are it. But I just love it. I love nature. I love nature so much. Okay, carrots. Um, AI... Oh, chat, the chat bot, AI bot battle. 
And then we have Neko Atsumi, the cat app for and the Facebook pop feed blocker. Your Facebook feed blocker. Finally, we have um, happiness scale. Happiness what, scale. And what, what do we do, we do with aggregate with our data? Own, our own data. So I, my Fitbit tracks my sleep and I never get a bub of C and it makes me mad. And I, cause I'm not a C student. And so it makes me, it makes me angry. Um, but I am, I do think it's hilarious because now like I I've set some goals around my heart rate. So like I'm trying to get cardio minutes so many times a week. So like half the time I'm like literally running in place in my house and looking at my wrist and like, it's not high enough to count as a cardio minute. And then, but then I'm also trying to meditate, but I am really, 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 really bad at meditating. So I'm focusing more on just like the physical aspects of it. than the, so I'm like, can I get my heart rate low enough? So I feel like I'm just like constantly like trying to track my heart rate up and then track my heart rate down and then track my heart rate up and then track my heart rate down. And so. But because you know that data. Yeah. <laughs> That, it's exactly what you're talking about. If you couldn't visualize through technology your heart rate, how would you do cardio? How would you meditate? Right. What would that even mean to me? It would look right? vastly different. Oh, so yeah. So that's your research. And my research is the Every Game in the City podcast about escape rooms slash slowly filling my own life with escape, escape rooms everywhere escape rooms all around us all right so, so let me let's see what do we think there is no escape and death comes for us all unless you are a wedding ring and then the carrots will bring you back carrots will <laughs> save only the carrots will come from us. <laughs> only the carrots will come from us Otherwise, we can lie to ourselves. No. <laughs> Being a negative Nancy, like death comes I, from, death comes for us all out of the ground. It's making me think carrot. of that, that line from um, like season seven of Buffy, like when, you know, the whole world is going to end in Buffy and they're like, uh, it, it eats you from, or what is it? From, from beneath you, it devours. But the, the like, the bad guy, like, the bad guy turned good, I can't remember his name, he um, misinterpreted the Latin or whatever it is as it eats you starting with your bottom. <laughs> I've never seen Buffy. Oh. <gasps> You've never seen Buffy? If I had known that, that would have been the theme of this podcast. Would you have just been us watching Buffy and talking about it? The whole, the whole just, just episode by episode, just sort of gone through it. Um, I like you've that. never seen Buffy. I need to. I know. I know. Fix that. It's you can watch it Fix for free. That. <laughs> you can watch Fix it for free that. on Facebook. Fix that. Okay, I okay. will watch Buffy as soon as I'm done grading mm-hmm. and watching the Queen's Gambit. Yes, watch that too. Watch that first. Um, much shorter than Buffy. Yeah. Okay. So, well, I feel like um, the kooky AI battle of the bot of the chatbots made me very happy and comforted me. Neko Atsumi makes me happy and comforts me. And um, escape rooms make you happy. Escape rooms make you. me happy and comfort me. And then you had the happiness scale. 
And we're talking about like data and how we do that with happiness. So really that only leaves out carrots. Carrots. The Facebook, well, the Facebook feed blocker, like I'm seeking, I mean, I, I guess I'm trying to game the system of my own cat. Like I'm trying to like control you're gaming my overwhelm right the gaming the system of your own data yeah yeah because I'm like man if I actually see this data from my social group and how they really feel I'm going to feel overwhelmed so I'm going to put a nice quote there instead (laughs) so Um, and then carrots the carrots is definitely the outlier and yet I think it is the most important lesson well I mean so if we're if we're gonna take it into like gaming the system kind of thing, like the woman, oh, but she was gaming the system. <laughs> she was lying about her ring, right? Like she was pretending to have it, and um, but eventually, even, even for yourself, right? Like, yeah, you you are gaming the system. I mean, I think especially for ourselves, like that's the part that scares me the most. And when you when we turn to like the AI chatbots, right? Like that's where I'm I'm more scared of what I believe than what somebody else is saying to me, right? Like I'm most scared of the information when I am unable to stop lying to myself, right? Like I want, yeah. And so like the AI chatbots, like eventually in our lifetimes, there will be chatbots that we will not be able to tell are not people, right? Oh yeah. Um, I got, okay. So this, a, this chatbot was so good that I went and chatted with them and I'm like, oh, this isn't as good. And then within five minutes, I got in a fight with it. I was in a bad mood and my husband's like, what's happening? And he read the chat and I'm like, it's not even good. And he read the chat and he was like, well, which one's you? Oh my gosh. And I was oh. fighting with it for about morality versus ethics. No, so I I was I was going to like go try it, but I don't think I'm in the right headspace for that. No, no. So Especially I mean, since we've also discovered this week that I am also an android, <laughs> right? This is an, that's enough for me to deal with right now. Is that I'm you know best friends within making an a android, podcast with an android podcast host. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that the theme here is that you can only lie for so long before it comes out through a carrot, through your podcast host and friend revealing your androidness to your very self. Or like with the, with the like school systems using data that I would bet was useful at some time that we just like eventually the, the thing you're trying to hide comes forward. Right. Like, yeah, but you, so, you can't hide it forever. That's, that's the, you can't, hi- oh, that's the fortune cookie then. You can't yeah. hide it from, you can't hide it forever, especially from yourself. Especially from yourself. There we go. Although you're probably the best at hiding it from yourself. But still not forever. Never forever. It's going to come back. Through a carrot. From beneath you, it devours. It's going to eat your butt. <laughs> But you can eat a carrot. You can eat that stupid carrot that ratted you out. Make a nice salad. Choke on a ring. Choke on a ring. I wonder if the potato absorbs the ring. Maybe it just breaks the potato, I bet. Oh, and then it never gets to be born. (laughs) 
I bet we could get some funding and try it out. <laughs> oh man, we should do that. I need grant funding. Um, I I need grant funding for about two dozen diamond rings, which and I would- several root vegetables. <laughs> Every root vegetable in this city. <laughs> um, what do you mean you need two dozen diamond rings? They have to be diamond rings for authenticity for right. my study. I mean, that's... The data, which I will eventually gain, won't be right. They are <laughs> beautiful princess cut diamonds. How would we... I mean, quality control. You can't just have random rings in there. No. No, we need them to be white gold <laughs> I mean, we could probably do it with something cheaper than diamond rings, right? Like we probably just get like washers from like uh, the hardware store and plant them with a bunch of root Michelle, vegetables. I think you're lying to yourself. This is going to come out. <laughs> get me my diamonds, Michelle. Um, okay. So yes, the truth will come out. Don't hide from yourself. Eat more carrots because you might... I'm going to give a bonus. I'm going to give a bonus um, fortune cookie, which is there could be a diamond at the end of the carrot, like a pot of gold at the end of the carrot. Diamond at the end of the carrot. Could be a diamond at the end of the carrot. Keep eating that carrot. Keep chewing. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Till next time. Christmas tree